Turn with me to Luke chapter 22, please. Luke chapter 22. Now the Feast of Eleven Bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And he went away and discussed with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. And they were glad, and agreed to give him money. And he consented, and began seeking a good opportunity to, to betray him to them apart from the multitude. Then came the first day of the unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had been sacrificed, had to be sacrificed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare a pas- the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they departed and found everything just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when the hour had come, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup, and after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of one betraying me is with me on the table. For indeed the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. The Passover, the Passover. Now, the Passover is something that you might be unfamiliar with unless you're familiar with the Old Testament from which its origin comes. And I want to look at that this morning. We're um, approaching that time of year as Easter draws near. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. It's difficult oftentimes for me as I read in the Bible, especially the New Testament, where um, there are activities, feasts, as you were, if you will, and times like the Passover that I have a hard time relating to. And because a lot of it has, uh, is based and has to do with Israel's past, God's dealings with Israel in the past, and feasts that were set up by God for a purpose that became part of their cultural heritage. And so when they had a Passover feast, it was more than eating dinner. Um, and I, I think um, when we gather together to break bread, it comes from that Passover feast when the Lord instituted the breaking of bread. But I think we have to go back to see even the origin of the Passover to understand it and see how it relates to us and maybe gather some meaning to us today. Um, 
Exodus chapter 12. Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. So the nation of Israel was in Egypt. They had been slaves there for many, many years. They had been there for, I think, around 400 years. And um, they were subject to hard labor. And they cried out to the Lord. And the Lord heard their cry. And he was bent on delivering them from that slavery. And um, the Lord sent some plagues. Ten of them in all at this point. Uh, nine of them had been presented, and yet Pharaoh still wouldn't let Israel go. And so that's where we enter into the story here. This month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Verse 3. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your account for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So there was a time just to verify that it was unblemished. And they were to, to kill the, the animal, the sacrifice. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. So that would be the two doorposts would be at the side, the lintel would be across the top. That's where the blood was to be applied. And they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened, unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat it raw nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. Thus you shall eat it with a belt around your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. And so what we have in Luke is the keeping of this feast, the Passover. It's replete with significance because it speaks of God's deliverance from slavery. And he did it through death. The angel of death went through the camp. And he passed over every household that had blood applied to the lintels or to the lintel and the doorpost. What was the difference between one house and another? It was the blood applied. And why was the blood applied? It was through faith. It was an individual who believed that this is what God was going to do, and this was the only escape from the angel of death, was the blood applied. Very significant, very significant. Salvation from God comes by God's way. He makes it plain. He spells it out. And the one who takes advantage of that must be the one who believes what God says. And so, year after year, 
Decade after decade, century after century, the nation of Israel celebrated the Passover. And in their mind, they were looking back to when they were delivered from slavery. But we see in this story, it was also an occasion to look forward. Because what we have here with the Lord Jesus Christ in this, this story is really God's intended purpose for the true Passover. For Jesus was the true Passover lamb who was sacrificed, whose blood was shed so that it could be applied to the lentil and the doorposts of our heart. Because there is coming a day of judgment in which God will judge the world. And he will pass over only those who have believed him, who have the blood of Christ over their heart, and who will escape that judgment. And so it's a very special occasion for the Lord Jesus Christ because he has the story, the significance, the meaning, the completion. He's the lamb. He's the sacrifice. He's the deliverer. And this is the time that all signposts were pointing to throughout the nation of Israel from this time in Exodus forward. And even beyond that in different promises. But the Passover was pointing to this day. And so... One thing we notice in Luke chapter 22 is that the Lord had it all planned out. Go and prepare the Passover, he says. Where? Go into the town, you'll meet a man, follow him home. The Lord had it all planned out. It was an important event. So, what can I relate that to in my life? Um, we, in my culture, although I grew up in America, we didn't have um, a century-old tradition of eating something like the Passover. I never even knew that I had a culture until I moved to a different one when I went to Brazil. And the only reason I knew a little bit about my culture because there was some things were strange to me the way they thought and the way they did things until I started understanding them and then understanding, them, understanding the fact that we have a culture of our own, the way we do things, the way we think. But I, I wasn't raised in a religious home. But there are some things that go with our culture that people that are raised not in a religious home celebrate. One of them is Thanksgiving. Okay? Year after year, we have Thanksgiving. It was time we got out of school. <laughs> that was a happy occasion. Um, the next one was Christmas, Christmas time. Christmas was a time was a special time where a family would get together. And as, you're, as a kid, what you look forward to were the presents, right? <laughs> but, you know, the parents always used to be involved in the singing and the songs and the stories, and they were all very interesting to me. And year in and year out, I'd hear the songs of Christmas. And they were nice songs. Um, but I'll never forget the Christmas of 1981 that had significance for me. The Christmas of 1981 happened after I accepted the Lord in February of that year. And I accepted the Lord... I learned that I was a sinner in need of a savior. And the Lord loved me so much he came to die for me. And as I heard the gospel story, I, I, it, was, it was like oh, the ring of truth. I knew it was true. I knew it was true. And God touched my heart and he showed me how he tried to tell me that in many ways and shapes and forms throughout the years that when I wasn't listening. But it all came together to me on that day. And I was just happy knowing my sins were forgiven. That I, if I were to die that day, I'd go to heaven. I was confident of that. Nothing could shake that confidence because it was all according to what God said in his word. But, you know, 
as wonderful as that year was, I'll never forget the Christmas of 1981 when we started singing those Christmas songs like we had all those years. And I started looking at the words and listening to the words, and I, I couldn't believe it. It was like my jaw dropped. The story had been there all along. The words of those songs come from the Savior and what he did for us. And it was amazing. I'm thinking, how could I have missed that all along? And so I, I, I feel in a small way what they must feel going through this Passover afterwards. Wow, it had significance. Wow, that's what it meant. Wow, that's what God was trying to tell me. And so it's really marvelous. Uh, it has special meaning for the Lord Jesus Christ. It says he earnestly desired to eat that Passover with the disciples. There's an intimacy there among the disciples that can be descriptive of the relationship, the personal relationship that a person has when they accept the Lord Jesus Christ. I was talking with someone last night. Um, we went out for a birthday dinner, and one of uh, my friends um, came from my, being my son's friends, my daughter's friend. He's a professional gambler. And uh, we had to talk to him about the Lord. Um, and he doesn't quite see it, that he needs the Savior. But I'd like him to see it. I'd like him to see it. We had dinner together, and um, there was something special about eating together. My, my daughter was there. My other daughter was there. My son was there. Um, my daughter's husband was there. My daughter's boyfriend was there. My friend's friend, well, this was there. My wife was there. And it was, it was special. And I think of some of the most special times with loved ones are around a meal, aren't they? Um, family and friends eat around a meal. And I think of some of the most special times that the Lord had his lessons for people, it's around a meal. But this was more than a meal. It had significance, spiritual significance. And, and it's hard to understand if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. Because my friend, Mike, he doesn't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We were talking, he said he's agnostic. <laughs> and... Um, the really question is, is, Mike, do you want to have a personal relationship with God? That's the real question. Because if you do, then the answers to the questions will be there for you from God's word. But do you? We, we, we got all the issues pushed to the side. Do you want a personal relationship with God? And he said, I guess I'd have to say no. I'd say, I guess I have to say no. And I said, you know, I don't understand that. Because we just had, a, we went out for sushi and then we went out for Fenton's ice cream. <laughs> and we had a fabulous dinner. And um, I said, you know, we just got through enjoying some of the greatest flavors that are known to man. <laughs> and God gave us the ability to enjoy those flavors. And he made the flavors. We just mix them up. And what you're saying is you enjoy what he gives, but you don't want a relationship with him? I don't understand that. I look around us, and I've been to Yosemite. I've been to some pretty places before. He's the maker of those pretty places. I've been through some exciting things before uh, in his creation. He made the creation. He made it. He made it all. I've had some moments of emotion that I never thought I could feel. Well, he gave me the ability to have emotions. He gave that to you. Life is so filled with experiences he, he is the author of life. Who would not want to have a relationship with the maker? 
your maker, our Lord. He loves us so much. And really it's uh, around a table that that can best describe that intimacy. And we don't see it so much here in Luke, but if you go to John, you really see the true intimacy there between the Lord and his disciples. And I am so excited about that because that's the same intimacy that he has with me. And that's the same intimacy he has with you if you know him. And if you don't know him, that's what he wants to have with you. He says in John um, 17, verse 24, let's read that. Because it really shows forth the heart of the Lord. John, I think it's in 1724. I hope it's in 1724 after I said that. (laughs) Here it is. Father, this is his prayer to his father. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundations of the world. I want them to be with me in glory. I want them to see my glory. How closer can you get than that? That's what the Lord wants for you. Whether you know him or not right now, he wants that for you. He wants you to be with him in glory. It was spoken of on, to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you think anything else mattered to him at that point? I mean, it's easy to think, well, his life was coming to an end. But that should mean something to somebody whose life isn't yet coming to the end. In paradise for all eternity. Does that mean anything to you? Well, in our story here, we have a group of apostles, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there were 12 of them. But one was not a believer. I was thinking about this story. We got, we got two types of bees in this story. Just two. We have believers and we have a betrayer. But, you know, they didn't know who they were. When the Lord revealed that there was someone that's going to betray them, that he was there with them, it's not I. Everybody says, it's not I, it's not I. Who is it, Lord? They didn't know who it was. And that's a scary thought, and I want to think about that. Judas, they say Iscariot because there was more than one Judas, and they want to distinguish just which one this was. That was very nice of the Lord. He was called a betrayer. A betrayer. He wasn't always that way. He wasn't always known as a betrayer. He was one of the twelve. Or I should say he was among one of the twelve. He was among one of the twelve. But he wasn't one of them. He wasn't one of them. And you know, people in this room can be divided in two different categories, just two different kinds of bees. Maybe not a betrayer, but one who isn't a believer and one who is a believer. And oftentimes, we don't know. I don't know. I can't look in your heart to know where you are with the Lord, what relationship you have, or if you have one or not. Only the Lord knows. And I've met people that I thought were Christians for years and years that weren't. We had a testimony not too long ago of someone that had everyone fooled. But the Lord, the Lord knew. And so I'm wondering, well... We're never going to have a betrayer in the sense of Judas, but there are other ways of betraying the Lord. And so I want to think about just what was it about Judas that we want to take note of, that we want to recognize as a danger. What was it about Judas that put him in the place where Satan 
could enter into him. Where he would agree to that. What was important to him? First of all, what wasn't important to him? He was among the disciples. He went where they went. He did what they did. He walked with the Lord Jesus like they walked. But there was something different about him. There was something different about him. It says in the New Testament, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Someone would call him Lord doesn't mean that they know him. He says to those, go away from me for I never knew you. Personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have one this morning? Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are you just going along? Are you just here like Judas was among the, the, the disciples? And I'm not, I'm not in my mind going there like you're a betrayer like Judas. I'm not saying that because at one point in his mind he wasn't either. He wasn't from the day he met the Lord Jesus Christ planning to betray him. But he put himself in a dangerous spot where Satan could use him to that end. And so what I'd like us to do is recognize just what is that dangerous spot. And do we find ourselves there? Because both the, the, the Christian and the non-Christian can find themselves in that dangerous spot once we identify what it was. And first of all, he wasn't really that interested in the deep spiritual things of God. He wasn't walking that close with the Lord. He was there. If he was, uh, if he was coming to, uh, to gather with us, he would probably be a faithful attender here. Every Sunday, he'd be here hearing the word of God just like everyone else. And I know none of you could ever have been accused of this legitimately, like daydreaming during the message. Nobody ever does that, right? <laughs> I have. Well, that's putting myself in a dangerous place like Judas was. He's there. He's hearing the words like everybody else. But the true disciples, they're listening intently. What is God saying to me here? There's lessons to be learned. Judas was just daydreaming about a project at home, about, you know, how much money was in the money bag and how much he can get out of it without anybody noticing. You see, he wasn't a moral, morally upright person. He would uh, steal from the pilfer from the money bag. So really, he wasn't, in, he wasn't a kind of person that a, a true disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ realized, you know what? God is with me. And he is always with me. That could be to my comfort in difficult times or to my dread if I'm doing something I know he doesn't want me to do. He's there. And a Christian's going to be careful. Got to be. Because he wants to please God. Right? Well, he was there when Judas was having his, his hand in the till. And Judas didn't think so. Judas thought he could get away with it. So he really didn't care. He didn't have a real care for the disciples either because that was perhaps their livelihood. That was perhaps going to buy the meal for the next week or the next day. He really didn't care about those others. See, a true Christian, it says in the, in the New Testament, it says, by their love, you, they shall know you're my disciples. Your love for one another. See, if you're a true believer, you're going to love the Lord Jesus Christ and you're going to love the family of God. Now, if you're not, that's not really true love that brings you here, is it? It's another reason. And with Judas, perhaps it was the desire, hey, I'm with, I'm with the 12. I'm close to the Lord. 
You know, maybe he was after the respect of his community. But he stuck it out until an opportune time. You know, it's interesting how it's stated that he went and talked to the, uh, the Pharisees and the officials. It was almost like he didn't have any problem just walking in and just talking with them. It's almost like he was on friendly terms with the world. And they decided, well, we'll give him some money. It doesn't even say he negotiated for it. They agreed to give him money. Now, did they agree among themselves, or was there a negotiation going on? It seemed to me that Judas found himself in their company as one of them. Very comfortable in their company. Very comfortable taking up their values. Very comfortable doing favors for them, for favors in return. That's the world. That's the world. And you know, it says in the scriptures that you can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. You can't. That's what God says. And oftentimes, I think sometimes we can be too friendly with the world. And that's putting ourselves in the place of danger. That's where Judas had himself, friendly with the world. And next thing you know, he was participating with the world. He was looking for a time where he could betray the Lord Jesus Christ to them. And there's a little bit of politics in there when the multitude wasn't around. See, they were worried about the popular opinion of the people and how they could get around it. Political manipulation. He was in their back pocket. And you see, that's when people don't realize. When you're not being true with the Lord, when you're not being true with yourself, Satan's got you in his back pocket. He's got his hooks in you. And you will do things that will surprise even you, which I'm sure Judas faced. And he really didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't go ask for forgiveness. He killed himself. I've seen some strange things happen in the last couple of weeks. I mean, strange things that surprised me, and I'm wondering, what's that all about? I've had a, I've had a phone call from, from a guy that says his family's being tortured and that he's being watched and that his cell phone's being wiped clean. And this was a person that I had assumed was a brother all along, all the time I've known him. And the more he talked, the more he sounded like he was on drugs. In my experience with drugs in the past, I know there's some demonic connections with drugs. But it made me wonder, wow, where has this fellow gotten himself? Whether he's a brother or not, I'm not sure. But whether he is or not, he's in a dangerous place. And he just texted me yesterday wanting to meet with me. Um, I had a talk with another fellow that I'd known for a brother for years, and I just can't believe the things that are coming out of his mouth. The fantastic stories. And I'm thinking, where has that person gotten himself? It can happen. There needs to be vigilance in watching that we don't become or that we don't get ourselves in a dangerous place and we're in Satan's uh, territory. And that should make a person fear that doesn't really know the Lord. Because a person that doesn't know the Lord really doesn't have a defense. A person that knows the Lord does. He has the Lord. He has the Holy Spirit. He has God's protection and God's promises. It doesn't mean he's not going to go through difficulties and perhaps learn some difficult lessons if he plays around with the world. But God won't let him down. What we see are two 
different categories here. I call them bees, two different types of bees, believers and betrayer, a betrayer. And that really reminds me that really in the world there's just two kinds of people. There's just two kinds of people, those that know the Lord and those that don't. And, and it's my desire this morning that if you're here this morning, make sure you're one that does believe. And if you're not, recognize it and get yourself out of that dangerous place. Do something about it. Um, we read in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, it says, Enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Just two paths, one narrow, one wide. Two gates, one small, one big. Most of the people are on that broad path that leads to destruction. Most of them are. You go outside these walls in the world, that's God's evaluation of where people are at spiritually. Where are you? What road are you on? Perhaps you've been walking on a road with Christians for quite a while. But that doesn't make you on the right road. Because it's a spiritual road. It's not keeping company with Christians. It's keeping company with God. It says in Luke chapter 13, verse 22, And he was passing through from one city and village to another, teaching and, proclaim, and proceeding on his way to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord... Are there just a few who are being saved? Good question. Are there just a few being saved? A lot? Few? This is what Jesus' response was. Strive to enter by the narrow, narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able to, to. Will not be able. Once the head of the house gets up and shuts the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open up to us. Then he will answer to you, I do not know where you are from. Then he will begin to say, you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. And he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. Doesn't that describe a person that comes to church that doesn't quite know the Lord until it's too late and they want to come to know the Lord? Knocking on the door, but the door is shut. There is coming a day where the door, the door will shut. And if you're here this morning and you've been here for quite a while, you've heard the word, and you're just hesitating, you're waiting, that's dangerous. Because the Lord could shut the door, like right now. And I could be gone. <laughs> and all true believers could be gone. And at that moment, what about me? I don't know you. Remember? I don't know you. That's a scary thought. It's a scary thought. Strive to enter by the narrow gate. Strive. It says in Matthew, it's a curious verse here. It says in Matthew 11, verse 12, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. You ever think about that verse, what that verse means? I was talking to a young man, and, and he, he, uh, he said this phrase, I think, twice. He said, well, I'm just not there yet. I'm just not there yet. It says in the scripture, strive to enter. Strive. 
That's taking somebody that says, I'm not there yet, and getting there. <laughs> getting there. It says here, it says, the kingdom of heaven suffers violent, violence, and violent men take it by force. And to help you understand the way I, I see this scripture is Barnes, a commentator, writes, and from the days of John, etc., that is, from the days when John began to preach, it is not known how long this was, but it was probably more than a year. Our Savior here simply states a fact. He says there was a great rush or crowd pressing to hear John. Multitudes went out to hear him as if they were about to take the kingdom of heaven by force. So he says it has continued. Since the kingdom of heaven or the gospel has been preached, there has been a rush to it. Men have been earnest about it. They have come pressing to obtain the blessing as if they would take it by violence. There is an allusion here to the manner in which cities were taken. Besiegers pressed upon them with violence and demolished the walls with such earnestness and violence, he says, men had pressed around him and John, him and John, since he began to preach. There was no allusion here to the manner in which individual sinners seek salvation, but it's a simple record of fact that multitudes had thronged around him and John to hear the gospel. So that's the picture is, hey, there's eternal life given free by the Lord Jesus Christ. Come and get it. And people would stampede to come get it. And we see that reaction in the New Testament. So for someone to say, well, I'm not there yet, it's like, haven't you heard? Go get it. Strive to enter by the narrow gate. Take it by force. Do what you have to do. Because if you don't, you know what that's saying to the Lord? It's like that friend of mine said, well, no, I guess I'm not interested in a relationship with the Lord. You know, there's always the picture of these sales and these stories of, I, I don't want to pick on the women, but, you know, <laughs> I've heard of some women getting in fights over sales, you know, these crazy sales, you know, get in stores early and they get in a fist fight over the sale, you know. Well, those, those women are seeking that. They're striving for that sale and they're going to get it. <laughs> the difference is with the at salvation, there's plenty to go around. You don't have to fight anybody for it, but you have to strive to get it. You have to show the Lord, you know, Lord, this is worth it. Because if a person doesn't strive, the Lord's, you know, they don't even think it's worth it. Why should I give it to them? Strive to seek it. Persist. Um, I, I, my son shared a prayer with me that I was really encouraged about. He prayed that the Lord, you know, would um, really help him to strive for that. So, wow. That's what God wants to hear. Lord, give me the strength. I want you. I want a relationship with you. All those things people talk about, they got something I haven't got. I want it. Not, well, I'll think about it. No. Strive. Strive. You think of examples in the scriptures. And think of what that meant to them. Remember Zacchaeus? That story, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. <laughs> yeah, I think politically correct term was he was... Um, Height challenged or something like that. <laughs> he was short. <laughs> and, and for him not to strive would mean that he'd just say, oh, well, can't see over the crowd, can't get through, I guess I'll go home. Now, what does it say he did? He ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree, so that when the Lord came by, he'd see him. And what was the result? You come down. <laughs> but today I'm going to your house. 
Salvation visited his house. Why? He showed the Lord, hey, I'm interested. I'll climb a tree to find out. He strove to enter. Right? How about that woman with the hemorrhage? For 12 long years, she heard Jesus was passing by. When Jesus passed by in a scene like that, he was surrounded by a multitude. I mean, it was like shoulder-to-shoulder people nestling by. So she had to penetrate that barrier. She had to nestle through that crowd, push and shove, get up, and in her mind, if I just touch the fringe of his cloak, that's all I have to do. But she had to strive to do it. She couldn't just sit back and say, oh, well, I guess I can't get through. No, there was some effort on her part. She made her way up, touched the fringe of his cloak, and she was healed immediately. And the Lord knew it. She strove, right? Strive, strive. Think of other stories in the Bible where people really strove or striven, strive. I don't even know the word. They were striving. (laughs) My wife will correct me when I get home, but it's okay. How about the guys with the, the friends of this paralyzed man? He's on this stretcher of some kind, and they're probably at least four of them, one on each corner, and they're carrying him along, and they're going, uh-oh, there's a barrier of people there. We're never going to get him in there. Oh, oh well. well, let's just set him down and hope Jesus passes by. I mean, we already carried him all this way. What more can he expect? Look, we can't get through. No. They were going to strive to get him in there. Hey, I got an idea. Let's take him around back up on the roof and cut a hole in the roof. Are you crazy? Yep, let's go. <laughs> they strove to get their friend in front of Jesus. And what happened? He received the forgiveness of his sins. He wasn't expecting that. Oh, and by the way, to prove that he could forgive sins, stand up and walk. <laughs> that was the bonus. The most important thing was the forgiveness of sins. Strive to enter. I know Judas didn't strive to enter. He could care less. He was along for the ride. He was along for what he could get out of it. A lot of people are in life like that. What I can get out of it. They don't mind what what God will give them, but they don't want God. They're not going to strive because it's not important to them. What is here and now is important to them. There was something that Judas was unwilling to give up in his life. You see, because when somebody comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, they're like Peter. When the disciples were leaving the Lord Jesus Christ because he had difficult sayings, he turned around and said, you guys want to go too? Because I'm not, you're not tied to me, you know. And the Peter said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know what? Peter was all in. You know, um, this professional gambler, you know, it makes me think of chips. Here's all my chips. They're all on Jesus. All of it. Not reserving anything for myself. Judas wasn't like that. People that are like Judas in that dangerous spot. Here's the problem. You can be in that dangerous spot where Judas was for how many years? Three years. Satan didn't enter him all those other years. We don't hear about demons' possession in his life before that. He was just like one of the 12 to the point when, when that was happening, it's like, they, well, it's not, it's not me, is it? It's not me. Everybody said that. They didn't know who it was until they, Peter said to John, who John was leading on, on, on Jesus, ask him who it is. There must have been a lot of conversation. That's the only way I can picture it. There must, must have been a lot of conversation in the room. Hey, ask him who it is. 
And he says, he's the one that's going to take the morsel that I dip in the pot. So, they, so Jesus revealed who it was, and then they knew. But they still didn't comprehend what he was saying. Maybe he just wants to send them out. Go do it quickly. He, maybe he's going to go buy something. He's got the money anyway. So you don't know. You don't know. He didn't know that he was in a dangerous spot for all those years. And then, boom, Satan enters him. Dangerous spot. Dangerous spot to not be all in. There's something that's keeping you. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, there's something keeping you from it. You ever think about that? If you can visualize that, make it tangible, this is what is keeping me from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's right here. This is it. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's uh, your own plans for your life, whether it's your job. Maybe we're not talking about keeping you from the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe we're talking about you being a Christian, being in that dangerous spot. That has its effects as well. What is it? Because that's what you're saying. That whatever it is, this is more important to me than you, Lord Jesus. This person that I don't want to give up is more important to me than you, Lord Jesus. This job is something I don't want to compromise on. This is important to me. Right? This material possession, whatever it is, I know you're going to want me to give that up, and I ain't going to. So this is more important to me. There's something keeping people back. Now in this church, I know one thing it's not, and that's the gospel message. The information. It's preached here almost every Sunday. How a person comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Anybody at any Sunday can walk up to the majority of the people in this room and say, how do I have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? And you'll be told accurately from the scriptures. So that's not it. Not informational. That's not the problem. The problem is with most likely the will. The will. I'll tell you one thing, when I first accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, I said at one time the most simplistic thing that I've ever said, not realizing how difficult it would be, I said, you mean all I have to do is what the Lord wants? And I wasn't saying it in reference to gaining salvation. I was thinking, wow, the responsibility for decision-making in my life is now off my shoulders. I think, I just dropped 50 pounds. Man, I feel like I'm floating. You mean I just have to, he, he'll, he'll take responsibility for everything? I just do what he says? Yeah. That's the life of a Christian. What he wants, because it's always the best. What he wants, because you're not going to be happy until you're doing it. What he wants, because it's going to be really for your good, for eternity. Is it going to be easy? Not always. But it'll be a lot easier than the hard way, doing it your way. And so at that moment, I thought, wow, that's great. This is life for me. <laughs> you know. And then as the years go by, you realize how your flesh gets in there and wrestles with things. But I'll tell you one thing, knowing the Lord Jesus Christ is the best thing that has ever happened to me. You know, and I've done some crazy stuff in my life. Very little could have been called wise. But that was the wisest decision I ever made. And it was because he gave me the offer. And he's given you that here this morning. If you're here and you don't know him, if you're here fooling people, fooling yourself, that's not good. Because he's offering you eternal life. But the door may shut this afternoon. He doesn't promise you tomorrow. He doesn't promise you an hour from now. It's now. Judas blew that off. 
He had how many chances every day? Ah, I'll be walking with Jesus tomorrow. I'll think about it then. He blew him off. Until the day Satan entered into his heart, and at that point he, he, he had all hooks in. He was, he was a goner. And he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't think that you're beyond that. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in his camp. You're vulnerable. And don't think there's something you're not capable of. I remember one time reading about Hitler, how he was known as the, he has the, uh, the brand of being the most evil man that has ever lived. And then I heard one wise person say, don't let anybody fool you. The potential for a Hitler resides in each and every one of us. The right circumstances, the right opportunity will bring it out. Wow. That's scary, but it's true. So, if you're here this morning and the Lord's speaking with you, don't delay. Don't put it off till not even tomorrow. Not even till this afternoon. Get right with God right now. Let's pray. Lord, as we contemplate your word as it speaks of Judas Iscariot, Lord, we realize there's a dangerous place that we want to avoid. I think of Peter and how he followed you at a distance and at that moment he betrayed you and yet you restored him. And I'm encouraged that for the Christian there is restoration, Lord. So I just pray for anybody here that knows you, that perhaps is living in that dangerous place, Lord, that you would bring them to a safe place, to where you come first in their life, where all other things are only of value as they relate to being used of you to reach lost souls, Lord. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that perhaps they've come for years and yet have not really been sure of their relationship with you, oh, Lord, I pray that you'd move their heart by your Spirit to do business with you today and get saved. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.